Welcome to GivePod, Greater Vancouver's business podcast, unpacking the challenges and opportunities facing our region. I'm Bridget Anderson, President and CEO of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. And we're back after a break over the summer. And this is the first in what will be a series of episodes with Vancouver mayoral candidates ahead of the municipal election in October. We are going to get to know them better and hear about their vision and priorities for the city. My first guest is Vancouver City Councillor Colleen Hardwick, who is running as the mayoral candidate for the team party. Councillor Hardwick, nice to see you. Great to be here. Thanks, Bridget. So Colleen, let's maybe start back at the beginning. Your father, Walter, was instrumental in helping to shape Vancouver into the city is today, also a founder of the team party. Talk to me about the impact that his legacy has had on your decision to run for office uh, back when you ran for a councillor and the ongoing kind of impact that that is had his, his leadership has had on you. Well, my father obviously had a profound impact on my life. I was 10 years old when he was first elected to city council. The original team, which was called the Electors Action Movement, was formed by my dad and my uncle David Hardwick, together with Art Phillips and others, back in 1968. And they came together to fight the freeway that would have wiped out the neighborhoods on the north end of the city, uh, in particular Strathcona, Chinatown, and Gastown. And team at the time, coming out of the late 60s, was very much about power to the people, about the residents and the neighborhoods, about policy and democracy. And that legacy was was my inspiration to create a new team for a livable Vancouver. Um, As you may know, my dad taught urban geography at UBC. So I grew up between the geography department and City Hall. And by the time team won a majority in 1972, I'd already been through three election campaigns. (laughs) So as dad worked on projects like the development of Falls Creek South, this was our dinner table conversation growing up. So starting as a teenager, I worked as one of my father's research assistants, including on the Urban Future Survey, which led to the creation of the Livable Region Strategic Plan. You know, I spent my 10,000 hours uh, hand coding Fortran to key punch dating myself. So when I was under when I was younger, I was naturally under a lot of pressure to live up to the Hardwick tradition. Mm-hmm. But fate changed my course um, from following in my father's footsteps in urban planning into the film and television industry. Uh, I joke that I ran away and joined the circus, but it it was there that I earned my own reputation as a pioneer and an innovator and a trailblazer in that industry. And my dad fortunately encouraged me to become an entrepreneur and was actually the first chairman of my film company, New City Productions. But why did I do it? it was not until my dad died in 2005 that I contemplated politics. I spoke at his memorial at the Chan Center, and several of his colleagues encouraged me to run in the fall election. That was back in 2005. And at that time, team no longer existed. So I ended up running for an NPA nomination, um, and I narrowly missed the cut in that election and uh, ironically moved forward to become a digital technology entrepreneur, which was a, a path I pursued until 2018. But fast forward to 2018, Uh, Vision Vancouver was clearly on the way out. My elder daughter was pregnant with my first grandchild, and it was a change election, so I believed it was time for me to run again. So I put my papers into the NPA, 
expecting a nomination race as we had in 2005, uh, but was rather appointed as a candidate. I struggled with that, but I knew it was unrealistic to run as an independent. Mm-hmm. And in the end, I came in fifth place among 10 uh, with almost 48,000 votes. So bringing that up to now, uh, over the course of this term on council, I have been in despair about the state of the city and have felt powerless to do anything about it. You know, I'd hoped to build a big tent with the NPA in order to win a majority and make the necessary changes in the city's business and financial plan. But when the board refused to have AGMs and when the caucus pursued one through um, requisition, we got nowhere, which is when the caucus, most of the caucus resigned. So at that point, I'm looking at myself and going, okay, well, um, what am I going to do? So I went ironically and asked my uncle Dave, who was one of the founders of the original team and asked his advice. Going back to the drawing board. (laughs) Going back to the drawing board. And he said, you can't do what you need to do as an independent. You need a team majority to affect the necessary turnaround. And when he died in May, uh, my cousin gave me all his files as he was the original secretary of secretary of team. And so absorbing that inspiration, I and several supporters incorporated Team for a Livable Vancouver. And our first act mirroring what they had done was to arrange a policy conference because policy is the best honesty. And if it had not been for this unique background um, and the knowledge and experience that I've gathered along the way, I would not be here right now running for mayor. But it's precisely because of a lifetime of exposure to the city of Vancouver that I feel the calling to run for mayor and together with the team to turn the ship around, so to speak, Uh, because I do not want to be the last generation of my family that can afford to live in the city of Vancouver. So Colleen, you say turn the ship around and that you are unhappy with the direction that the city is going in. So what is your vision for the city? How would you sum that up? Well, my vision for the city of Vancouver is to recover its balance as a sustainable, livable city. So- What does that mean for you? Uh, We'll start maybe with housing, because that really is one of the most critical areas for our city. And, you know, I'm taking a look at your record on council. You've been, uh, I think some might say that you appear to be opposed to growth. And I think you would say you want to see better management of growth, but you were, you voted against the Broadway plan. You voted against a project in kits, uh, both very high profile projects. So what is your vision around development and and what why did you oppose the Broadway plan? Okay, let me, I'm going to go through these in several steps. Sure. Uh, so I want to go back to the livable city. Um, and what is a livable city? It's fundamentally neighborhood or community focused, and it balances housing, mobility, community amenities, commercial or economic activity, green space, and critically, affordability because if we can't afford to live here, what's the point? So my priorities are affordability, and it's not just about housing affordability, it's about everything affordability. Public safety, if I'm afraid to take my grandbabies to the playground, what does that say about livability? And services, the city needs to reprioritize its core services over the mission creep of so-called council priorities. And we need to focus on those potholes and 
on the needs for school and parks, police and fire. And we need to stop downloading responsibilities of the senior levels of government and focus on the core areas of civic governance. So let's get that out of the way. And our members would agree with you on that, uh, Councillor. You know, we we surveyed our members uh, fairly recently and asked about municipal politics and, and, and about some of those municipal issues and where they felt the biggest pain points and permitting, licensing, red tape, but also, you know, wanted to see the city really focus on core issues. So that is something that you would see the business community and our membership behind maybe tracking back to housing and affordability. Okay, let's, so I, I'll get let's back. do that. So you yeah. asked about the Broadway plan. Yeah. So the Broadway plan is a business model. Think about it like taking 500 blocks, uh, covering the plan and superimposing a spreadsheet o- over top, like a master pro forma, anticipating how much money can be generated through rezoning, building and revenue streams to the city. That is how the plan was developed intersecting the finance, real estate, and planning departments. There was no meaningful public consultation as you wouldn't want a few residents to get in the way of a good business plan. And it doesn't matter that the plan was based on aspiration, uh, not evidence, when it anticipated population and job growth along the corridor. Again, you wouldn't wanna let a little evidence and analysis get in the way of a good narrative. And my experience is that has really been what uh, has been prevalent at the city. But I will point out in this context that promoting growth is about profit. Managing growth is about livability. And I support the latter. Um, I believe that we can have a steady state of growth without promoting it in excessive pace of change, which is at the heart of many of the problems that we're having. So you mentioned housing affordability being a chronic issue for decades. So my take on this is it is existential. But for those that pay attention, let's go back to 2008 during the heart of the financial crash. The city of Vancouver elected a vision majority and those may remember they fired the longtime city manager, brought in a new city manager who did a core services review and departments were reorganizing, uh, reorganized heads of department jumped or were pushed. Succession planning was obliterated. And at the end of the day, institutional memory was obliterated. And so as we've seen the business and financial plan, it has changed right down to the chart of accounts for those that are business minded. And because I've analyzed this, notably on the capital side of the budget, the restructuring regularized developer contributions as a revenue stream. So in essence, the city's new business model then became to sell zoning to generate revenue to fund council's vision, which is now described as council priorities. So the definition of capital changed what was included in it. And now we see 50% of the capital budget is is funded by developers, not what has historically been done, which is, is debt, debenture borrowing off the back of a plebiscite. Why do we care? because this model has created an inflationary spiral. Housing can never be affordable when we're experiencing double digit galloping inflation in land values. It's important to remember that a significant amount of the housing product produced in this model has also been sold to investors, either offshore or domestically. So why is this a problem? because we continue to widen the gap between global wealth and the, the local economy. So let me, let me uh, interrupt but you. I just want to say this model is making it so people like my kids will never be able to afford a home 
of their own in, in our hometown. And I know that many of our members and listeners would agree with that. So if you were elected mayor, then how would your vision change that equation and allow for more affordable housing? Sure. Well, the first thing that we have to do is to stop this rate of inflation because it all starts at the land. So if the city were to slow down, I mean, we approved whether this is part of the narrative or not, we approved 100% of the rezoning applications that came to city council over our term. So anyone that says otherwise is not paying attention to the evidence. So we do have to reduce our dependence on this inflationary model. But at the same time, we need to look at what we can do, what the city can do to reduce the cost of housing production. Because after all, 20 to 30% of each unit cost is attributable to the city. The city can't do anything about labor and materials, but they can do something about the time that it takes to develop, to approve development and business permits, because as you well know, time is money. And the bank profits from increasing timelines many times over, double, triple, 10 times as long as it used to take. And the city also controls the cost of the the permits themselves, which have quintupled over just a few years. A simple inquiry permit went from $400 to $2,900 overnight, for example. And you have to look at, though, the size of the planning department, because there's many more mouths to feed. The city's doubled the size of the planning department. And so finally, the city controls the building code, which is separate from the BC building code, as you may know. So Vancouver is more expensive to build in on any other municipality as a result. So time, building code, building permits. Or, or permits regime generally, those are all things that the city can control, which constitute maybe 20, at least 20% of unit costs, slow down rate of inflation and deal with these other levers to uh, get the building of the housing that we need going forward. Okay, so just to sum up before we change gears here, um, a commitment then from you as mayor to make changes around permitting and time delays, and that will start to bring down the cost. So that's good to hear some action because there's a lot of frustration around uh, housing costs in the city. The other uh, big pain point for the city of Vancouver, um, and, and this is certainly being felt even internationally, is around our issues around public safety. Mm-hmm. And so tent cities in on Hastings Street and Crab Park, they've been, and prior to that, Strathcona Park have all been under your time on city council. And you know, I know this is a complex issue around homelessness and around opioid addiction and mental health, but what would be your approach to starting to solve some of these problems? It's interesting. I was just looking back at a, a report from 2016-2017 for Metro Vancouver uh, dealing with the homelessness issue at that time. So it's pretty clear that what we've been doing isn't working. Uh, team is advocating for the creation of a downtown east side commissioner to spearhead a task force. If it's not going to be done at the provincial or, or regional level, it's going to be done at the city level. We need to take leadership in this role. And we need an audit of the downtown east side and the growth industry down there that continues to expand. We know that we hear every day about, you know, there's a million dollars a day being spent in downtown east side. Well, those figures well, are probably a decade old, so it's I much know. more than that. I know, but this needs to be addressed at the regional level and should include all all Metro Vancouver mayors, local governments, CAOs, BC Housing, um, 
social service agencies and the province in the collection of data and development of the reports because we do need an audit and they all need to be at the table. The, the unfortunate part is Vancouver is on the receiving end of this and it, it, it really needs to be addressed at a regional level. But since it's not, I believe this and team believes that we need to step up and uh, a downtown east side commissioner would be the to spearhead a, uh, an audit would be the first step. What would be the role in policing? Uh, there's been a, a lot of public discussion about the role of police in trying to um, maintain and increase public safety. Uh, what is your and what is team's view on the role of police? Well, I voted, uh, I did not vote to defund the police um, and uh, recognize that the province came back and, and uh, reversed that decision by city council. Um, I spoke to Chief Palmer not long ago, um, and he, you know, hearkened back to the 2009 report that talked about what their estimates uh, estimates were on growth relative to population growth, and uh, they figure they're down about 60 officers. There's a lot of competition for officers out there. I was recently at Kitts Days down at the beach, and they had a tent down there recruiting. Uh, we know that there's a big changes afoot in in Surrey, of course, with their own police force. So it's one thing to say that we're going to add additional officers. It's another thing to find them and train them. But I don't think, I think without a doubt, um, we have to be growing our police force in tandem with our population growth. So we've talked about two very complex, but I would say critical issues facing the city around our public safety and around housing. And we're already coming to an end of our time here at the podcast. So uh, let's talk about opportunities for our city. And, you know, the FIFA World Cup is one that's coming in 2026, uh, you know, and there's discussion about whether there's going to be a bid for the Olympics in 2030 um, and other opportunities outside of sporting um, where Vancouver, I think, is an opportunity to shine and to grow. Um, what are you seeing as some of the big opportunities? The future economy. You know, where do we come from? Vancouver exists as a city because it was selected as the terminus of the railway. It's the Western port for Canada serving the Pacific. We grew from our natural resource extraction industries, um, you know, up through the 80s when Expo saw our market shift from re resources to real estate as the principal driver of our local economy. Uh, but I believe that there are um, some really positive examples where we are looking at locally incubated startups, entrepreneurs here that have been able to scale into significant players. Um, I've been concerned about that, having worked in both the film industry and digital technology, for example, because um, you know, we've become a bit of a backlot or back office for American multinationals that come here for our 80 cent dollar and tax credits. But in order to flourish, we need to be more than, you know, the high priced help. It's essential to be developing our own intellectual property, IP. Um, and that is where I really see the opportunities. Biotech is one example where we've seen companies like Abcelera emerge and spin off other companies in that space. And we need to do everything we can to support the advancement of local entrepreneurs and their companies. And to do that, they need work workspace. It all comes down to land. Uh, Industrial land shortage. Uh, if, you know, we, that is a if companies big, big don't topic. have work, sorry, 
Didn't mean to interrupt you. No, there. not at all. I, I jumped in on you because that certainly the industrial land shortage has been a, a priority area for the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. But, you know, that is one of the things that city council could have a role in trying to starting to change the nature and the environment on around that. Because as you speak, there's we've got a great thriving entrepreneur community, but companies tend to scale up and then they go somewhere else because there's not room for them to expand and grow. A hundred percent. You know, I'm aware of this as a serial entrepreneur myself, and I've been talking to Invest Vancouver about it, but it all does come down to the land. And if companies don't have the room to grow, they will leave and their workers need to be able to afford to live here at the same time, which brings me back to my first point. If we can't afford to live here, what's the point? But one thing is for sure, we can't keep doing what we're doing um, and expect a different outcome. Uh, so instead, we really need to be examining the fundamentals of our local economy and uh, give future generations a chance. Well, Colleen, we could continue speaking um, for some time, but I'm really glad we could share uh, some some moments and talk about some of your priorities and vision. It is going to be a very, very busy next few weeks uh, for you as we get into the fall season, and I wish you all the best in the election. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with us today. And don't forget to vote. The election is on October 15th, a Saturday, and people can get their information uh, online at elections.bc.ca.